mean, how many times you go to the church and the pastor say, please don't show up next week. I mean, we will not be here. Go be the church next weekend. I hope you're planning your party. The other night, uh, I went out with my, two of my grandkids and Laura printed up about 40 some flyers and we went up the street and we went down another block and we're getting RSVPs to people to come to our house next week for our party. We have no idea who they are, but we're gonna have the best time and it's a great way for you to begin to build bridges into the lives of the people who live around you. you have no idea where God is going to take it. So don't come to church next weekend. Be the church, celebrate, and let's see what God is gonna do. I, I, I can't wait to hear the stories that are gonna come back. Now this is the third week of our series that we're calling Multiply. And our goal in this series is pretty simple, is discover what the Bible has to say about our personal finances. And I'll tell you why this is so important that we take six weeks during June and July to talk about this topic, is because as Christians, we have to understand until we align our finances with God's expectations of how we're supposed to handle our finances, we can never be wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We cannot be totally devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We can't be all in. And it's because, understand, when you're consumed by your finances, you can't be consumed with God. You have all of this sideways energy going on in your life. You're constantly discontent. You don't know why you're discontent. I mean, you got the house, you got the car, you're going on the vacations. You thought by this point in life, right, you would be at the place where you would kind of feel like you made it. There would be a sense of satisfaction, a, a sense of contentment, but now you're discovering that the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, you know, the more discontent you are. And so you find yourself thinking and worrying about finances and money all the time. You're just consumed with what's going on in your financial world. But here's the problem. If you're consumed with finances, if you're consumed by your money, you cannot be consumed with God. So you got to understand, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, he wants you to submit every area of your life to him. Not just your finances, your marriage, your parenting, your, 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 what you do in the marketplace. He wants you to submit every area of your life to him. That means that you're going to have to allow God to get in your stuff. You're going to have to allow him to mess with your money. And if you don't allow him to mess with your money, you will continue to be upside down. You will continue to be lost. You will continue to be consumed by worry when it comes to the area of your finances. It won't matter how much you make. It will not matter how little you make. It doesn't matter how much you hope to make one day. You will be consumed. So if you were here the very first week, I challenged you to begin to track your finances so you could determine where you are in your financial world because there's no way that you can get to where you want to be until you know where you are. You got to have a place of traction. You got to know where you are. Many of you have done that. You've come back and shared some stories like, I had no idea I spent that much getting my nails done. I had no idea I spent that much at the dry cleaners. I had no idea I spent that much at Starbucks. And, and it's just amazing when we find out where our money is actually going. It should never be a mystery. It comes in, you send it out. It comes in, you send it out. Now, last weekend, we asked the question, how does God view our money? In other words, we, if, if, if we can see as God sees, we're much more inclined to do as God said. And we discovered that God sees our money a couple of ways. One, he sees it as a tool, but he also sees it as a test. In other words, how we handle our money reveals who our priorities, what our priorities are in our life. It, it reveals who we really belong to. And we saw that that's important because remember what Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both. You can serve one or the other, but you can't serve both. It's impossible. Now, this weekend, uh, we're going to ask a question. And here's a question that maybe when you're in your 20s, never crosses your mind. Maybe it'll show up maybe once in your 30s. 
But as you get into the 40s and 50s and maybe you get the peak of your career and your kids are starting to get out of college, maybe it's a question you begin to ask. But this is a question I want us to think about this weekend. Why do we have so much? Why do we have so much? And my guess is this, is that the average Christian has never really sat down and thought about why do I have so much? But I gotta tell you, how you answer this question will determine whether or not you're gonna be able to handle your finances the way God wants you to handle your finances. And I already know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Mike, wow, I don't know who you're talking to this weekend, but I don't have that much. In fact, God, I need a lot, Mike, I need a lot more than I have. I want a lot more than I have. And the reason we find ourselves in situations like that where we want a lot more uh, than we have and than we need is because, see, we find ourselves experiencing financial pressure. And the reason that you're experiencing financial pressure is because you and I both know your lifestyle is always bumping up against your income. And we talked about this, you know, when you make $30,000, you spend every penny of it, right? And you think, if I ever get to $50,000, it's easy street. I'm gonna save money, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna be generous. So you make $50,000 and you spend every penny of it. And you think, boy, if I ever made $100,000, I'm gonna save, I'm gonna be generous, it's gonna be easy street, no financial stress, and you get there and you spend every penny of it. The problem is that is, with that is, as long as your lifestyle bumps up against your income, it doesn't matter how much income you have. You can make a half million dollars a year, you can make a million dollars a year, but if, you're, if your lifestyle is always bumping up your income, against your income, you are going to feel pressure. But see, that doesn't mean that we don't have more than we need. In fact, the issue is we don't have everything we want. It's not a matter of need, it actually is an issue of greed. And as I stated in the first week of our series, man, if you make a household income of $31,400 a year, you're in the top 1% of the richest people on the planet. I mean, drop us anywhere else in the world and we are incredibly rich. And I realize that there are exceptions, but I'm telling you, and this is the part that offends you. I always have to have this part. In 95% of our cases, if we would just ratchet down our lifestyle a couple of notches, in other words, if we just decided that we could get by with 300 cable channels instead of 400, right? If we could just get by with four TVs in our house instead of seven, if we could just, instead of having two cars that we're paying for, two cars that we're leasing, if we could just maybe lease one car and drive one car that's actually paid for it. If we could just have our kids involved in maybe three or four activities instead of maybe five or six activities. If we could just wait till our kids, you know, turn six before we give them a cell phone instead of giving them a cell phone at four. If, if we could just ratchet back our lifestyle, now think about this, we would still live pretty comfortable lives, but we'd also have more than we need. And since that's the case, why has God given us so much? Now, let me just say this. I realize the culture we live in doesn't want us to ask that question. It wants us to ask different questions. See, the question that culture wants us to ask is, why don't I have more? You know, why don't I have as much as him? Why don't I have as much as her? Why can't I live in that neighborhood? Uh, why don't I get to drive one of those? Because understand, we live in a culture that says, focus on what you don't have, but what you could have. But this weekend, just for a little while, this is what I want us to do. And this is gonna stretch you a little bit, okay? I want us to focus on what we already have, okay? Monday, you can go back to focusing on the old, but you don't have. But just for a few hours this weekend, I want us to focus on what we already have, and I want us to wrestle with the question. Here's the question. Why do we have so much? And I'll tell you why this is a fair question. 
It's because I'm promising you, at one time or another, we've all struggled financially. Maybe it's when we first got married. Maybe we went back to school. Maybe it was a change of career. But we've all gone through a time where we struggled financially. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe it was an extended period of time where you were sick. Maybe it was an unexpected pregnancy. And because of that, see, you didn't have more than you needed. You didn't have what you needed. And when you found yourself in that situation, I am pretty sure of one thing you did not do. You did not pray, God, as you can see, I'm under some financial pressure. God, as you can see, I'm having some financial difficulty. God, as you can see, financially, things aren't working out for me. But the good news, God, is this, I don't want your help. Because God, since I've been holding out on you for all these years, I don't wanna bother you now, God, I just wouldn't feel right about it. You would never pray that, would you? You know what you would pray? Regardless of what you've done with your finances, regardless of how you've handled your finances, regardless of whether you believe there's God, Buddha, Confucius, or whatever, you would pray. You would go to God and say, whoa, God, help me, help me. I believe that everything belongs to you and everything comes from you, and I need a little bit to come my way right now. See, that's what you would pray. It's amazing how spiritual we get when we start having trouble in our financial world. We'll pray, God, why don't I have what I need? But here you go, when things are going well, let's be honest. How many of us have ever prayed, God, why do I have so much? God, I just got a raise, why do I have extra? God, I just got a promotion, why do I have more than I need? But this question may be the question that turns your whole financial picture around and it may be the question that God uses to lead you to financial freedom maybe for the very first time in your life. So understand, this is the question we should be asking because if the question that you're constantly asking is, why don't I have more? I can tell you what's gonna happen. Your lifestyle's always gonna bump up against your income. And if that's the case, you're going to create in your life an artificial sense of need because see, what began as a want all of a sudden became a need. And you know where I see this a lot, and I'm not just picking on you, it's young families. I mean, I don't know how these young families afford to live where they live. It's taken me 38 years to afford to live where I live, but I'm surrounded by all these young families with children, and I see this with, you know, I have family members and I have friends who have children, but this is what happens. You guys get a house. It's a good house, nothing wrong with a house. But then you start moving up, your income starts moving up, and you're like, man, I don't think our house is adequate. And it's not that you really had any more kids or anything. It's just, it's a new, newer neighborhood, a nicer neighborhood, a bigger house. So what do you decide? I want that house. See, but when you buy the house, even though you just got an income, instead of now there being a cushion, when you get that house, what that want has become a need because now the mortgage is higher. Now the taxes are higher. Now the utilities are higher. Now the upkeep is higher. And what was a want has become a need. And when want becomes need, even if it's an artificial need, what happens is you never have any margin in your life. You never have any bumper in your life. And it creates financial tension. It creates financial pressure. And then we find ourselves again saying, why don't I have more? Why don't I have peace? Why are we always fighting and worried about money? So here's the better question. Why do I have so much? Why do I have more than I need? Why do I have extra? Now, thankfully, Jesus addresses this question. If you have your Bibles this weekend, Luke chapter 12. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is surrounded by a group of people. He's teaching, and right in the middle of his lesson, someone interrupts him. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So evidently there's a guy in the crowd that day and someone close to him has died and has left some money and he doesn't feel that he's getting his share of the inheritance. And so he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what I deserve. Jesus replied, man, or if Donnie Peter was teaching that day, dude, dude, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Why are you coming to me with this? This is none of my business. But then Jesus picks up on something and he says this. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. By the way, have you noticed that it's really, really easy to spot greed in the lives of someone else, but it's really, really hard to spot greed in your own life? I mean, when we're jealous, we can spot it. When we're full of hate, we can spot it. When we're angry, we can spot it in our own lives, but it is very, very hard for us to spot greed because again, we learn how to disguise it, we learn how to rename it. For example, I'm not greedy, I'm just careful. I'm not greedy, I'm just a good money manager. I'm not greedy, I'm just conservative. I'm not greedy, I'm just frugal. So Jesus says greed is very, very subtle. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, what Jesus was saying is our lives don't add up. They don't equal what we own. Now, let's be honest. We know that intellectually. But for many of us, that's not how we live our lives. When it comes to our finances, what do we do? We make it, we spend it. We make it, we spend it. We make it, we spend it. We make it, we go to the bank, we go to the mall. We make it, we go to the bank, we go to Amazon.com. In fact, if some aliens showed up in a spaceship and observed us, they would go back to their planet and they say, the only way they can survive is make money and spend it. They make it, they spend it, they make it, they spend it, they make it, they spend it. Every once in a while they stop, there's this little hole in their head, they put something there, but then they make it, they spend it, they make it, they spend it. They would just assume that, right? And so it's very easy for us to feel like our lives are simply the abundance of our possessions. So Jesus comes along and, and he tells this amazing story in verse 16, he says this, the ground of a certain rich man. So, so he's already rich, okay? He's already got more than he needs, he's already got extra. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. In other words, it was better than normal. So now he's got extra, extra. And because of his extra, he doesn't have enough storage. So it says in verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now let's be honest. Our heart goes out to this guy, right? And his dilemma. Because see, he assumed the same thing that we assume when we have extra. Well, if I have extra, it must be for me. If, if I have more than I need, it must be so that I can increase my lifestyle. And before we know it, we're like this guy. Like, I got too much stuff. What am I gonna do? I mean, did you realize that the average house built in America today is twice the size of the average house built in America in the 1950s? But what's interesting, the size of our family is decreasing. Our families are nowhere near the same size on average in the 1950s, but yet our houses have doubled. Why? We got extra. If you watch HGTV, and just for the record, I do not, but Laura tells me about it. One of the main things people are looking for is we need more closet space. We've got to have more storage. Why is that? Got extra. Did you know that there's 2.4 billion square feet of storage facilities in America to store all of our extra that we can't fit in our houses that are twice the size of what they were in 1950, 
We can't get it in our basements. We can't get it in our attics. We can't get it in our garages. Some of you have never parked your car. Be honest, you've never parked your car in your garage because you've got so much extra. See, we can relate to this guy's dilemma. I mean, seriously, our hearts should go out to this guy, right? But anyway, this rich guy sits down and he comes up with a plan, which is probably why he's rich to start with, verse 18. He said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. By the way, let me just say something. This is the kind of guy that our society loves. This is the kind of guy we would stay up all night and at three in the morning watch his infomercial. This is the guy that we would go to YouTube and watch him tell us how to get rich. I mean, think about it. He was wealthy and he got wealthier. I mean, isn't that the American dream? Isn't it to be wealthy and to get wealthy? I mean, in our culture, this guy, he's our role model. In our culture, this is the guy we want, we want to learn from. So he decides, I know how to handle it. I'm going to tear down my perfectly good barns. I'm going to build bigger ones, verse 19. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Again, he's smart. He plans for the future. But understand, there's one fatal flaw in his thinking. He was thinking this. Since I have... X number of years worth of stuff. Well, it just makes sense that I have X number of years worth of life. Now, why would he assume that? Well, it's because he assumed that his life was the equivalent of the abundance of his possessions. Now, let me just say something. The problem isn't that this guy was rich. The Bible never says it's wrong to be rich. And I know that's disheartening to some of you young and up and coming socialists, but the Bible never says that it's wrong to be rich. You know, you can have a nice house, drive nice cars. You know, you, you can go on vacations. You can have a golf cart. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll make fun of you, but you can have a golf cart. I don't really care when you get right down to it, right? Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with any of that. The problem wasn't that this guy was rich. The problem was he didn't know why he was rich. And my guess is if someone would have walked up and said, hey man, why do you, why do you have so much? Why do you have extra? I think he would have probably answered like most of us. I don't know. I guess it's so... I'll have enough for later. I guess it's so I can prepare or take better care of my family. I, I guess it's because maybe someday I'll need it. So he came up with this plan and he thought, I've got enough for years and years and years to come. But look at verse 20. God said to him, you fool. They were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second, Mike. He's not a fool. He's the goal. See, he's our role model. This guy is living the dream. He, I mean, he's what it's all about in our culture. He had a lot, a lot to start with, a lot to start with, and now he's got a lot, lot more, and his future is taken care of, and he's got security. I mean, what do you mean he's a fool? But God said to him, verse 20, you fool. This night, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, you're gonna die. You're gonna meet your maker. Now, here's the question I want you to think about. Who will get what you prepared for yourself. You're going to die. Then who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? What's the answer to that question? Who's going to get what he prepared for himself? Two words. First word begins with S. Somebody. Yeah, somebody else. A little weak, but somebody else. Somebody else, right? So Jesus is saying this. Somebody else is going to get everything you own. Not because you're generous but because you're dead, right? You're dead. Somebody's gonna get it all, right? 
In other words, he made the mistake of assuming that an abundance of stuff equates to an abundance of years, but he is wrong. Now, you got to hear the moral of the story, verse 21. This is how it will be. Now, I'll come back to that in a second. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but here's the kicker, but is not rich toward God. In other words, Jesus says, what happened to this guy is going to happen to anybody who spends their life storing up things for themselves. By the way, nothing wrong with that. Jesus doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with all those things that you have in your life. But if you're not rich toward God at the same time, well, that's, that's a problem. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means that we invest on this earth, we invest in the things that most interest God. What would that be? Well, we know from the teaching of Jesus, in fact, if you go to the latter part of chapter 12, I think around verses 32, 33, 34, Jesus talks about when you see someone in need, you help them with that need. So that's part of it. That's, that's one of the things that interests God. Do you know what the other thing is? It's the expansion and the spreading of the gospel throughout the world. Remember what Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish. That's not what he wants. He wants all to come to repentance. And so he has given us the obligation of expanding and spreading the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the story of Jesus Christ. It's his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to be in a relationship with the Father, if you want to go to heaven when you die, there's only one way you're going to get there. You've got to get there through me. We've got the obligation to spread that. And I want you to understand, when it comes to spreading the gospel, the local church, without a doubt, is God's preferred method. In fact, you can see this through the Apostle Paul all through the New Testament. Paul was constantly trying to raise money for hurting churches and to raise money to make sure that the gospel was being expanded, that the gospel was spreading throughout the world. Now, let me just say something about giving because this often comes up. Well, you know, when I help my sister-in-law with her rent, isn't that giving? You know, if I pay somebody's light bill, isn't that giving? Isn't that me? Absolutely. And you can give the Ronald McDonald House, you can give to St. Jude's, you can give to the March of Dimes. Laura and I are very financially engaged with the Helene Foundation that helps single moms with cancer. You should do those things. But this is what I want you to understand. When you do those things, you're helping people in this life now. But when you spread the gospel, you're changing people's lives for all eternity. Understand that, okay? That's why it's so important. For example, when we raised millions of dollars a few years ago, to drill wells in the Central African Republic, the poorest uh, country on the planet, we realized one of the main things we could do right now would be to provide clean drinking water. It would change their lives. It would change their health. It would change their children. So we drilled wells. But you know what? You don't want a bunch of Africans from the Central African Republic just to go to hell well hydrated. You don't want that to happen. That's, that's not your goal, right? So what do you do? You make sure that you follow that up with, with, with African pastors and churches that make sure they hear the gospel because not only can we make their life a little better on this earth today, we can change their eternal destinations. Do you see why that's so important? Now I'm just gonna step right out here and say it. That is why you need to make giving to Hope Community Church a priority. The local church is God's preferred method to spread and expand the gospel through the world. Do you know this weekend we have a team in India? We have a team in Alaska? And yesterday we sent our largest mission team ever, a team of 45 college and high school students, 
to partner with our Agape campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where they will have three different student camps. You know what they're gonna be doing this weekend in Haiti and in India and Alaska, sharing the gospel, so that all have the opportunity to come to repentance. That happens because people give. The needs of others, the expansion of the gospel. She said the problem with this guy in the parable wasn't that he was rich. The problem wasn't that he had extra. The problem was that he didn't understand why he had extra. He thought it was all for him. And so he missed out on the opportunity to be rich toward God. In fact, look at verse 21. I told you we'd come back to it. This is how it will be. This is how it will be. What's the this? That you're gonna die? Let me tell you something. Whether you're rich toward God or not rich toward God, you're gonna die. As I've said before, the statistics on death, quite impressive. One out of one, okay? You're gonna die. So that's not what Jesus is teaching. The this here in verse 21 is this. This rich man, think about this. This rich man experienced total loss. He lost everything that he had accumulated in this world, and at the same time, he had nothing to show for his life in the world to come. And because of that, it was a total and complete loss. We talked about this last weekend. What we do with our temporary stuff, our temporary wealth in this life, somehow is going to impact what heaven is like for each of us. And to be honest, I don't know exactly what that means. It, the Bible's not very specific, but the Bible clearly teaches that it is very, very short-sighted for us to live our lives thinking that our extra is just for us. But see, that's what happened to the guy in this story. And because of his greed, when he died, it was a total loss. He missed his opportunity to be rich toward God. So understand, when I have more than I need, it's not for me. It's so that I can invest in things that most interest my heavenly Father. Needs of others, expansion of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. If that perspective was the frame of reference for all of your financial decisions, would your life look different? I mean, what if, what if every financial decision you made was based on, God, I've got extra. Thank you. Thank you for the raise. Thank you for the promotion. Thank you for the bonus. Not what am I going to do with it. What if the question was, God, what are we going to do? God, what are we going to do? I mean, can you imagine how that would change your finances? Because here's the problem. Most of us, by the time we get extra, it's gone. So you come home from work and say, honey, you won't believe it. I got a $500 a month raise. Oh! Let's buy that car we've always wanted. It's gone. Honey, I just got a $7,000 bonus. You want to give some to the church? No! Let's take that dream vacation. We've never gone on. Gone, see. Some of you, be honest, you spent your tax return before you got it, didn't you? You saw that little commercial on TV? You said, don't wait till it comes in the mail. We'll give you a loan so you can spend it right now. It was gone by the time some of you got it. But what if we began to think the way that Jesus is teaching us to think? What if the first thought that crossed our mind when we discovered that we had extra was, well, it's obviously not for me. I already have enough. So there must be a need somewhere. Is there a person in my life? Is there a situation? Is, is there a kingdom need that I'm not aware of? Where is the need? And I'm telling you, if you would have been thinking this way for the past 5, 10, 15 years, you're personal finances would look completely different today. Because see, when you start thinking this way, your lifestyle quits chasing your income. Say, ooh, there's some income, get it. There's some income, let's chase it, right, right. And when our lifestyle quits chasing our income, see, everything changes. And this is why you've heard me say, and we'll talk about this later on in the series, when it comes to your finances, you give, you save, you live on the rest. You give, you save, 
you live on the rest. Some of us, we've been given so long, we don't even know it. We don't even realize we have it. It's kind of like the government taking it. You don't ever see it, right? You give, you say, you're rich toward God, you give. You're rich toward yourself, you save. All kinds of Proverbs, we'll see this coming up in a few weeks. And then you adjust your lifestyle so that you can live within your means. And I'll just tell you, if you were to begin to prioritize your finances this way, it will break the power of greed in your life. And I, I tell you this, you may not see it, but it's there. And the evidence of greed is the artificial pressure that we begin to feel because, see, our lifestyle always increases as our income increases. And when that happens, our wants become needs, and even though it's just really an artificial need that we've created. By the way, just so you know, this is why the Bible teaches percentage priority giving. Percentage priority giving says this. I am going to pick a percentage. I just, the Bible teaches 10%. Now, I know some of you would be theologians, like, oh, well, that doesn't really teach it in the New Testament. You don't want to know what the New Testament teaches. I mean, in the Old Testament, it said, you shall not commit, a more, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus came along and said, don't even lust. Let's raise the bar. The Old Testament said, don't commit murder. Jesus came along and said, don't hate. Let's raise the bar. You wouldn't even want to know what Jesus had to say about generosity, right? But let's just say 10%. I think that's a good place to start. Maybe, you can't, maybe that would just be ridiculous. Maybe you couldn't do that. But maybe it's 3%, 4%. Whatever it is, you pick a percentage and you say, I am going to be rich towards God first before I spend it on anything else. Now, here's the key part. And then I'm going to adjust my lifestyle. I'm going to learn to live within my means. It's the only way it will ever happen. Let me tell you something. I, I'm in a pretty sweet spot in life. And I should be. I've been doing the same thing for 38 years you stay in a job long enough, 38 years, you're probably gonna be in a pretty good spot. Our kids are out of college. We're in a pretty good spot. I'm in a position in my life, I could afford a beach house. I could afford a mountain cabin. But I couldn't do that and be as generous as Laura and I wanna be. I could afford a boat. Nothing wrong with a boat. I'm glad people have boats. I go on them. Thank you. <laughs> but I can't have a boat and be as generous as I wanna be toward God. I could afford season tickets, to the Carolina Panthers, I would never do that because I don't like them. I can't stand them, actually. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I really do believe the hole in the stadium was so God could watch his team play. I get that. I really believe that. I'm a Dallas Cowboy. I could afford them. I could afford a bunch of seats if I wanted them. But I couldn't do that and be as generous toward God as I want to be. This is what I want you to understand. That's how many people here afford to be generous. You're surrounded by some people who've learned you give first, you save and then you ratchet down your lifestyle. You learn to live within your means, which means you have to say no to some things. Now, that is not the way most Americans think. Most Americans give this way. You increase your lifestyle as your income increases. And if there's a need, you hear of a need, there's a hurricane, an earthquake, some kind of catastrophe. See, out of guilt, sometimes out of emotion, you will write a check and think, oh, I am so generous. I gave $50, I gave $100, I gave $200 to this need. Let me tell you something, you are not generous. You are as greedy as you can possibly be, and it's because, see, your lifestyle hasn't been impacted by your generosity. And until our lifestyle is impacted by our generosity, according to Jesus, don't shoot me, I'm just a messenger, we are greedy. And we're greedy because, see, we assume that any extra we have, well, it must be for us. And then we'll try to squeeze out a few dollars every once in a while to throw God's way. But God says, no, 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 that's not the way I want it to work. As my follower, he says, I want you to be rich toward me first because I was so rich toward you. I gave you my son so you could have salvation. I gave you my son, my most precious possession, so that your sins could be forgiven. I gave you my son so that you could be reconciled and restored back into a relationship with me. And you get to go to heaven when you die. And if that's not enough, 
I allowed you to live in one of the richest areas in the richest country on the planet just so you could have extra. So God says, I want you to be rich toward me first. And I want you to pick a percentage. It's because when you lock in on a percentage, one, it'll, it'll force you to be systematic. Second, you'll have to prioritize. And when you do that, see, you knock your lifestyle back. And when you knock your lifestyle back, I'm telling you, the power of greed is, is broken in your life. And when that happens, you're free. And some of you, you're feeling guilty right now. That's not my goal. I kind of like it that you're feeling guilty, but that's not my goal. That's not my goal. This has nothing to do with guilt. You know what this is about? Better planning. This is about handling your finances the way God wants you to handle your finances. In fact, I want to just tell you this. When you become a percentage priority giver, you won't feel guilty anymore. Laura and I just sat down uh, Friday. And we've, gone, we've been doing this tracking thing before you guys. I asked you to do it. And so we, we sat down and she's got these little pie charts, you know, and, and it shows where we are. And, and we're looking at the rest of the year. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you we don't miss it. We're going to give almost 30% of our income away this year. About 20% of that's going to come back to Hope Community Church because we, we believe in the mission and vision of Hope Community Church. But there are some charities we support, the Helene Foundation, the Hope for Haiti Foundation. You know, we got relatives just like you that from time to time they need some help. You know, the poor you'll always have with you. We have different things that we're involved in. And you know what? I live in a really nice house. I drive a really nice truck. It's eight years old, but it's a really nice truck. I, uh, I get to go on really nice vacations with good friends. And I don't feel guilty one bit. And it's because, see, when you prioritize the needs of others and God's kingdom over your own kingdom, there's no guilt. And you're free. You just realize, listen, listen, none of it's mine anyway. And you realize the reason you have what you have, the reason you have extra is because maybe there's something that God wants you to do with it. And when there's a special need, see, you're in a position to help there too. And it's because, again, your life has been arranged around generosity, not just consumption. We, this has been an interesting year for hope. We, we've had our own little financial crisis, and we've, we, we're kind of plugging through it. We don't want to make a big deal about it. And to be honest with you, it's because when we went through the Unleashed campaign, and uh, sometimes people made pledges and they didn't meet them, but we, 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 we planned our building in Apex and all based on pledges. And that's okay. Those things happen. Things happen. And it went about 20% over cost, but that's pretty normal. That's going to happen. Probably the big ticket item was we were going to lease that warehouse for 20 years and then buy it, but we found out we could buy it now for $4 million, but we had to come up with the $4 million. And to do that, which, by the way, was a great financial decision. Man makes his plans. God directs his step. We pretty much had to drain every surplus we had here at Hope Community Church. And probably for the first year since I started this church, we went into 2017 pretty much paycheck to paycheck, just like you sometimes. That's fine as long as people are generous. That's fine as long as the giving stays up. But it doesn't take, but we, remember the weekend we had the shutdown because of snow? Well, that's gonna probably cut our giving in half that weekend. And then there was one weekend it smelled like snow and half of you didn't come to church. And that, that, that impacted us, right? That impacted us. But you have a few of those, a few of those bumps in the road and all of a sudden you're behind and you're playing catch up. So we had to do what you had to do. We have to track our spending. And then we, had, we thought, man, we're on a projection to end up this year. We thought we were going to end up here financially, but we're not. We're going to end up here. So we thought, we got to cut $800,000 out of our budget. 
Don't you have to make decisions like that at home? In fact, I can show you where we came up with $800,000. First of all, there was a reduction of staff positions, compensation, and benefits. In other words, we, we saved a lot of money because there, there are just positions we don't fill, and we asked our staff to wear two hats and, and to shoulder the load, and they've done it with the most incredible attitude. And this is how we rewarded them. We decided not to match their funding retirement this year. See, thank you for doing more work. You're not going to get your retirement this year. Also, you're not going to get your Christmas bonuses, which we don't really give Christmas bonuses. They're actually part of their salary package. We just hold some of it to the end of the year, so they think they're getting a Christmas bonus. Now they know. But anyway, they're not going to get that this year. But doing that benefits, basically our staff is going to bear the brunt of this. We saved about $485,000. And then a decrease in general ministry programming and operation expenses. We found out where we could save about $334,000. We won't be as effective as we were planning on being in spreading the gospel. There will be some needs in our community, just to be honest with you, that won't be met. But we're going to save $819,000, and that gets us back to where we need to be. But here's the problem. It still doesn't refill our surplus. So I just one day, God laid it on my heart. I said, I need the top 200 givers at the church. They gave me a list. I gave them to Patty, my assistant. I wrote a letter, and I said, listen, if you could, on top of your regular giving, on top of what you're already doing, could you give an extra $10,000? And as that comes in, that will rebuild our surpluses, and we will go into 2018 smooth sailing. So far, about 60 have responded. But what's really impressed me has been the attitude. I've had people stop me on the, at the pool. I've, I've had people come to my door and say, thank you. Thank you for making us aware of the need. We're more than happy, and it's because they believe in the mission and the vision of Hope Community Church, right? In fact, I got a card from somebody who said, hey, we don't even go to Hope anymore. We live in England. Like we won't be back for two years. We can't wait to get back to Hope, but here's our check. Thank you for what Hope is doing. We'll see you in two years. And it's been incredible, but here's the thing. And, and They've done that because they understand this principle. Here's the thing. I don't want to keep going back to those guys. Those are the guys I know will come through. They always do. But see, it's not about equal gifts. You know what it's about? Equal sacrifice. If everybody did this, if everybody became a percentage priority giver, can you imagine the impact we can make in our community? Can you imagine how we could expand the gospel throughout the world if we all just did our part? Not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. That's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to give. I'm asking you to save. And I'm asking you to begin to live within your means. And begin it now. Wherever your income level is begin now because if you don't according to the parable you run the risk of a total loss choose to be rich toward God break the power of greed in your life so what's your homework assignment make that first gift all what kind of ways you can do it you can write a check you can go online you can go to the phone app you got to make that first gift you say Mike I don't know how I'm going to do it well let me just say it may it may mean that you're going to have to cut back your lifestyle. It may mean that like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get my nails done as often. I'm going to have to stop going by Starbucks. You know. I'm going to have to uh, go to maybe fewer movies. Honey, I think we're going to have to eat at home and cook more often and not eat out so much. You may have to cancel your cable or downgrade your cable package. You may have to cancel your membership to the gym and start running and just doing push-ups or something. I don't know. We're talking crazy talk here. But here's the thing. If you will begin to make decisions like this, 
and begin investing in the things that interest God, I'm telling you, it will change your financial world. And like people tell me so often, I did not realize you could give and have more. You have more because you're being a better manager of what you have. And God will bless you. I used to give a money back guarantee. Try it. If you don't, I'll give it back. One time somebody asked for it back. My board said, you cannot do that anymore. (laughs) But if I could, I would. I'm telling you, God will bless you. So there's your homework. Woohoo! We're having fun now, aren't we? Some of you are like, dang it, I was going to go to Enrico's for dinner tonight. So you can't do that now. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're a good God. You're a generous God. Father, we shouldn't be afraid of this stuff. This is where we find freedom. At any income level, this is where we find freedom. So help us, help us not to just write this off and think, oh, we're smart enough. We'll get out of this financial mess in ourselves. Help us to realize this is where it begins. You first, because you first loved us. I'm excited to see what you're gonna do in the lives of the people of hope. I'm excited to see what you're gonna do in us as a church. And I believe you're gonna bless us. And I believe you're gonna be faithful as you've always been faithful. And we're gonna give you the credit right now for what you're going to do. In your name we pray, amen.